0: Hey, thanks for listening to our podcast. If you want to listen live in the central Indiana area, you can hear us on 93.5 FM and 107.5 FM. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline, you have seen him play running back the past couple of Colts games and play really well. Let's uh, introduce everybody and find out a little bit more about Colts running back, Deion Jackson, who joins us again via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Deion,
1: thank you for the time. How are you doing? Hey, no problem, man. I'm doing good. How are you?
0: Fantastic and fantastically done. The last two weeks before we get into it,
1: how's the quad? Hey, I'm I'm doing good. Zadaria um, practice today, full go, so everything's going well. You like me? Did you
0: just slam some Biofreeze on it and just start moving around again.
1: <laughs> uh, something like that, little Tiger Bomb, you know, get going.
0: Wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. Are you a Tiger Bomb guy? Are you?
1: Uh, yeah, I, w- I would say so. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I listen. I'll. Uh, and I know you can't. But I'll rub anything, anything on me to feel better. You know what I mean? (laughs) I'll I'll bathe, rub, put on, apply, whatever to make myself feel.
1: feel. Yeah. I'm a big Epsom salt bath guy, too.
0: Are you really? Do you have a hot tub
1: at home? I kind of got a big tub in my bathroom. So, I mean, something like that
0: see we hear that all the time. I uh, there's uh, an advertiser we have called Royal Spa, and I have a Royal Spa, and uh, the owner Bob talks about taking uh, Epsom salt baths in your hot tub. And ha- what's that do for your body? I've never done um,
1: it. Honestly, I mean it just it kind of like brings my legs back. Um, makes me makes me feel a little bit uh, fresher. Like I I usually do it in the afternoon or something like that, like before I go to sleep. And then I mean when I wake up, I feel I feel a lot better. So.
0: See, I do stuff you probably can't do, so that's, that's <laughs> and that's understandable, right there. But it's yeah, it's all about recovery, and and then it, I mean, it's all about recovery time because you don't have a lot of time. You got to get back right in it. And how'd you feel coming off that Thursday game and that extended week when you played this past Sunday? Did you feel feel pretty good starting the game?
1: Um, yeah, actually, I, I I felt really good. Um, that time that time off that we had from the Thursday game really, really helped out a lot. Um you know I had a lot of time to um just take care of my body, you know get some some prehab things kind of worked out and everything like that so I mean that was good for me um you know, it had been a while since I played what fifty or whatever snaps yeah. it's been a couple of years, so you know i kind of i kind of felt those plays but um yeah know, going into the uh, last game i I felt really good.
0: Now it was different in Denver certainly on that Thursday night for you and we can get back to that in a second but how did you feel because not only you're talking about not playing that level of significant snaps in a while but you were playing this this past Sunday against Jacksonville here at Lucas Oil Stadium in the no huddle how did that do it was was it was it somewhat exhausting because I know Michael Pittman Jr. Your teammate mentioned how exhausted he was after the game how, how different is that than what you experienced in that Denver game
1: um yeah for sure. Um that was definitely a, a different uh switch up. Um something I mean it's kind of something that I I did a little bit in college, but it had, that was early on like my sophomore year it had been a while. So, I mean making that switch from the the Denver game to uh, Jacksonville going no huddle, um it was definitely kind of strenuous in practice. Um that was um that was something that was big for us going no huddle in practice and everything like that trying to get used to it. So, I mean going into the game, definitely a different beast. Um, definitely exhausting. You no, know, Pitt played more plays than me, but I <laughs> I still felt it though.
0: Yeah, I I was um did you know over the week during practice, because your your head coach Frank Rackett, had mentioned they you guys were all in on that early in the week in leading up to that Jacksonville game. Could you see it all cohesion wise, Dion, coming together as you went along during the week of practice last week?
1: Um, yeah, for sure. Um you know, we uh going in we kind of we kind of knew we were going to start the week off with that. Um I mean, I just feel like uh, as as time went along, I mean, as practice went along, we kind of we got used to it. Um we got used to the operation and everything like that and it started to work out pretty smooth, um so we knew it was definitely going to be something that we can use in the game and um feel like it worked to our advantage.
0: So Deion Jackson of the Colts joining us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Did when you've got that really significant first playing time in that Denver game, did it take you a minute to dial yourself down or were you kinda of running off those those extra juices you got by being in that position?
1: Um, I feel like I was just running off of those extra juices. Um I'm I don't think I really had uh too much time to, you know, try and calm myself down or dial myself down or anything like that. Like, um, you know, Naheem's Naheem's uh, injury kinda happened sporadically. Like it, it happened yeah. out of nowhere, so I kinda was just thrust into it and I didn't really have a chance to you know process anything or anything like that I was just kind of in the fire and i just had to i just had to get out there and go
0: was it kind of an oh crap moment for you oh crap here i am or was it like hey <laughs> this this is what i have practiced this is what i have played for this is this is my moment How, how'd you feel when you first knew that you were up and here you go
1: um i say a mix of both um yeah i would definitely say a mix of both um when it happened I definitely was like, "Oh crap," but then I like I knew I knew once like when I ran in there, I knew I was ready. I knew I was um I was ready to get the job done. Whatever was asked of me. Yeah, uh, d uh, Jackson,
0: he is with us. Uh, so I- I'm assuming. How-, how did you feel from the Denver game to the Jacksonville game? Even with you know the experience of practicing for that no huddle, mm-hmm. which was completely different, did you feel like you had just a-, a different level of confidence than you had when you were on the spot and had to enter the game as you did on that Thursday night in Denver?
1: definitely uh for sure I I definitely feel like I went into the, the Jacksonville game with a lot more confidence um just based off of um the game before um yeah I mean going into, I was definitely confident uh, for the Jacksonville game I didn't really I wasn't really nervous or anything like that um I mean I had some emotions and stuff like that just because it was my first start but as far as going out there and executing I didn't have any worries or anything like that
0: All right when you scored that touchdown on Sunday Is that, with that spike, what you had in mind, or was that just kind of living in the moment there?
1: Nah, uh, I'm not going to lie. I kind of told myself the night before, I was like, if I run somebody over uh, and I score, I'm going to spike the ball as hard as I can.
0: Who was that you ran over, by the way, right there? You kind of tattooed somebody there (laughs) that tried to to block your path. How many times have you watched that run?
1: Literally, probably at least a hundred. I love it. <laughs> Literally, probably a hundred.
0: It should be playing on like a loop on a TV when you walk in your place. Honestly, <laughs> because I mean, it was. It seemed like it was one of those moments in the NFL, which I'm sure happens often. Uh, it's either you or me, and it's going to be me in this uh, that, hole as we meet right was, here, right? That
1: was definitely my mindset. That was definitely how I was thinking. I said. We're going to meet each other at the goal line. I said, either you're going to win or I'm going to win. I said, I, I like myself. Uh, did you get the ball back, by the way? No, I didn't. Holy crap. What happened to it? I mean, when I spiked it, it flew It flew like five rows into the stands. Um, I think they got the ball back, but I don't have it, though. I,
0: I think they did. Now that I remember, I went back and watched that play again, and I think that they did get it back. So it's got to be floating around there
1: somewhere. It's somewhere. I don't know where it is. It's somewhere. Did you have in,
0: Did you have intentions on keeping it?
1: Not really. No. Nah. Cool. I have, yeah, I have my first touchdown ball from last season when I yeah. scored versus the Texans. I have that ball. But honestly, I didn't even think anything about keeping that ball until after the game. And my mom was like, "Did you keep the ball?" And I was like, "Oh man, no. I didn't even think about that."
0: So, Dean Jackson of the Colts, the running backs on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. When you're coming out of camp, how, how'd you feel about your chances? And then, um, you always have to be ready. Is it different for you than some of your other teammates in terms of you're, you're playing special teams? There's no doubt. So, you're always up for that. But you also yeah. have to stay ready to play that position in case you're thrust into it, as you were in Denver on that Thursday night. How how do you keep yourself ready for whatever might happen, given your situation?
1: Um, honestly, JT and Naheem, um, literally since I got here last year, um, once I got activated last year and I was, um, on the active roster, literally, they used to tell me consistently, like, look, you got, you got to be ready. You got to lock in on this, 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 like you're, you're literally two plays away from having to be the guy out here, having to be the lead back. And unfortunately, I mean, the past couple of weeks, that's just what happened. So, um, I give credit to them. They've definitely helped me, uh, prepare like a starter since I've gotten here and, um, hopefully I would say, I hopefully I'm putting those results out on the field.
0: Well, they're both really good dudes for one. Is there anything, sure. anything that, that comes to mind immediately advice wise that they have given you that you've actually taken to the field when you've gotten this significantly more playing time in the past two weeks and it's worked for you anything out of either one?
1: Um, it's just, it's just little like details that they point out. Um, just little small things that they point out like as like watching films and stuff like that just little things that they point out about uh, a certain players like demeanor or certain uh, attributes or characteristics and you know like I listen I listen to pretty much everything that they tell me just because of the experience that they have um you know their their experienced playmakers out here they're experienced in this offense so any advice anything that they tell me I listen to cuz um I know that they know what they're doing um they're two of the best
0: all right, uh, Dion Jackson joins us because we have incredible reach on this afternoon show here in Indianapolis. I have an update for you on the spike football. You ready? Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is from Jeff Sutton. He says, the spike ball hit my wife in the hands. She, <laughs> <laughs> she missed, but the staff took the ball back onto the field. So it does, as you mentioned, have to be somewhere. So his, I guess his wife had the opportunity to get it, but uh, – didn't quite cash it in.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think I seen. I think I seen the, um, one of the, uh, the dudes on the field like waving to try and get the ball back. So yeah, I think I did see that. I might have to try and find it.
0: Um, the Angry Run Scepter Award from Kyle Brand on NFL Network. Yeah. Were you honored to receive that? Pretty fired I- up for it
1: definitely I was definitely um I was definitely happy to receive that that was literally the first thing that I saw when I woke up yesterday morning <laughs> um so I was I was definitely happy about that especially because I, I seen JT win that last year so for me to win it this year and bring it back to the room is definitely an honor
0: That's awesome right there too Yeah, and that for t- sure. that that run that run like when the Colts have a highlight basically for the rest of the season now that run is probably going to be <laughs> on most of them right there
1: Yeah yeah I'm, de- I'm definitely happy about that um yeah, that was that was definitely a proud moment for sure. Uh,
0: running back wise, and then special teams. Um, you enjoy special teams, and then you, what do you feel about yourself as a special teams player, Dion?
1: Honestly, special teams is something that I like. I learned to love. Um, I never I never had really any experience playing special teams or anything like that before I got to the NFL. You know, um, in college, I mean, the only thing that I did in college was like return kickoffs. So um, special teams was definitely, definitely something that I had to get used to. But honestly, I, I I like special teams a lot. Um, feel like I'm I'm still getting better, but I'm I'm way more developed as a special teams player than I was last year. Um, just blocking, getting my assignments, and everything like that. So I think I, I think I have a lot of um a lot more value in special teams um, this year. Um, uh, yeah, so
0: what's um Bubba Ventrone is the noted special teams <clears throat> coach for you guys. Yeah. What does what he what has he told um, you both good and bad? What you can do better and then what you do at a high level right now with his special teams unit?
1: Um well for one, he's told me that I'm night and day from last year. Um he trusts me he trusts me on every unit now. Um he has a lot of belief in my abilities. Um the only thing I mean he's looking for uh, out of me is just just keep being consistent. Um, just show consistency every week. Um, show up every week and get my job done.
0: So does that make you think about that? So you didn't trust me last year with every. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, no, nah, maybe a little bit. Maybe a <laughs> so bit. wait a minute. You didn't wait. I love though. So
0: when, when, when were those moments when you didn't trust me last year? I'm kind of curious when those were to look back on it. It's Dion Jackson with us. I, I, I was talking to Voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor, who's a friend of mine. He was on a little bit earlier, too. And I guess you guys had a conversation earlier today. You get an interesting background in, in and around Atlanta in high school at the Pace Academy. And I, I looked this up. There are some um, professional athletes that came yeah, out of, of your high yeah, school back
1: Yeah, for sure. Some of some of my close friends, man. Some of my close friends.
0: How how um how good was the high school football team back when you were there?
1: Um, we were pretty good. Um our best year, I'd say my junior year. That was the year we won state. Um from from that team, from my junior year team, it's actually four of us that are in the NFL right now. So it's me, Andrew Thomas, the left tackle for the Giants. Um, Jamari Sellier, he's a rookie this year on the Chargers. He's right. actually playing left tackle right now. Oh, he
0: was playing on Monday night a bunch.
1: Yeah, for sure. And then our kicker, actually, Samuel Sloman, I think he just got signed by the 49ers or something like that. Like, So I think he's back in the league again. Now, so I think he has yes, four of us right now.
0: Is that high school known in the Atlanta area for uh, for pumping out, you know, professional athletes, high-level collegiate athletes too?
1: Actually, not really. Like, when I got there, I think the football program had literally just started – Five years prior to me getting to the school, like, yeah, five years prior to my freshman year. I think they started varsity football in 2008 or 2009, and my freshman year was 2013. So, I mean, it was a fairly new program. We kind of just turned it up real fast. Uh, again, Deion
0: Jackson's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. So, why was it Duke for you? Did you have other options when you came out of the Pace Academy, or was it Duke all along? What was what was uh, your mindset going into college out of high school?
1: Um, I mean, my final two uh, my final two schools that I decided from were Duke and Notre Dame. Um, I mean, I had I had a good amount of offers. I had a lot of offers, not a lot, um, but. My final two was Duke and Notre Dame. I had actually committed to Duke before my senior season. Um, Notre Dame had been recruiting me all along, but then when they switched and uh, they got a new staff, then the new staff offered me, and, um, you know, they were trying to flip me from Duke. Um, I've just, I just felt loyal, uh, loyal to Duke. Um, you know, Duke's offense was pretty kind of similar to what I ran in high school, so it was something that I was going to be comfortable in. Then I knew coming in I had a chance to be able to play early and not have the red shirt, so... um, Plus the education, I mean, you can't beat that top tier education. One of the top schools in the country. So getting, and then also playing power football. So getting the best of both worlds is definitely something that appealed to me and my family. So um, so uh, helped me make the choice.
0: Clearly, academics were incredibly important to you, Dion. What, what? Give me back in high school because I mean, you got football and you got training and you got weightlifting and all that going on, and mm-hmm. then you had your academics. What, what? How did? How much of that night? Day and night, every single day back in your high school, did that eat up? How many, how many hours a night?
1: Um, honestly, I tried to get a lot of my work done during school. Like, since I went to a private school, like the way our schedule and stuff was set up, we would have like free periods where we didn't have classes. So, some days I would have one or two free periods where I don't have a class. So I would just go to the Academic Resource Center and kind of do my work and try and get that done before I have to go home because I knew I was going to get home kind of later. So honestly, I got a lot of my work done during school, but definitely a lot of days where it'll have me up to 11 or so at night getting work done or getting some reading done or something like that for school for the next day
0: is a Dion jackson of the colts you've seen him especially uh be active and uh certainly with great results in the past two games in denver and then at home against jacksonville this past weekend he's with us via the andy moore automotive group hotline i'm assuming being from atlanta you were a falcons fan growing up um was it surreal the first time you're on the field with matt ryan
1: um yeah definitely definitely kind of a, a, a jaw-dropping experience i would say um kind of funny like the first day we reported uh well it was actually the day we reported the day before we reported back for OTAs I kind of pulled up to the facility just to kind of get some things straight in my locker and it was a it was a truck sitting out here in the parking lot it was only him and I had parked next to I parked next to the truck not realizing who was in it and then I looked and I was like oh that's Matt. I was like that's Matt Ryan so and then the first thing we talked about was um, him being the guest, the, the commencement speaker at my graduation, so it's was kind of funny. <laughs> Do you remember what his subject was? Honestly, I really don't. To be honest, <laughs> I, like for the most part, people like all of all of us were like in the crowd, and we were like, dude, that's Matt Ryan. Like we were hardly paying attention to what he was saying. We were kind of all in shock.
0: Yeah, I'm assuming too, because you know we we were had Peyton Manning around here for so many years. There's probably mm-hmm. a similar feeling to what uh, the Atlanta folks felt about Matt Ryan, to what most people felt about Peyton Manning over the Manning years here.
1: Yeah, I I, I would probably say that's a that's a similar that's a pretty similar feeling. Yeah, uh,
0: is it safe to say that one of as a fan back in the day, one of your not so good days was that Super Bowl, that second half of that Super Bowl with the Falcons and the Patriots?
1: that was like that was a disappointing like after that that was a disappointing day in in the city I'm not going to lie like the 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 aura around school after that like everybody was down everybody was upset cuz we actually like I think that Friday before the Super Bowl like whatever the day the last day of school was before that Super Bowl I know we got the day off of school like we were on the news for that and all of that so I mean it was kind of wild um you know I th- that was part of that was that was part of the subject that he uh that he talked about during our speech actually now that i think about it because that was that same year
0: yeah that um that kind of probably as a fan makes you want to turn the lights out and not turn them back on for a while right <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's that's how certainly bad that was it's Dion jackson of the colts with us do you know i know it's early it's wednesday a lot of things have to happen but do you know what part of the game plan that you may be in coming up on Sunday at all, or have you yet to go over that?
1: Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, whenever my number's called, I'm just going to be ready to go in there and um, go in there and produce and go in there and do my part. So when whatever part that may be, that, that's what it is.
0: You know, and one thing, too, you, you, there wasn't a great deal of, of offensive consistency and cohesion leading up to going to that no huddle did did you see a difference from that no huddle and some of the different things you guys worked on practiced on offensively did you see that come to life against jacksonville and that stuff that you think you can take away and be more efficient further down the road using it
1: uh yeah for sure um definitely um the most important thing i mean is just having that sense of urgency and everybody being on the same page i feel like with the no huddle, we kind of all had to be on the same page in order to get everything done. So I feel like that was that was really good for us. It's definitely something that we can um, that we can keep going and continue with. All right, when
0: you scored that touchdown and you got the uh, angry run scepter and all that, did you hear from a lot of
1: people? <laughs> yeah, I did. I definitely heard from a lot of people. Um, a lot of friends, a lot of family. A lot of people telling me that I, I single-handedly won their their fantasy uh, fantasy uh, matchup for the week. I got a lot of that. <laughs> See, a lot
0: of a lot of players don't dig on the the like. If I were to ask Naheem that, he'd go, "What are you talking about here?" But you, you, do, you do you embrace that? the The fantasy talk from fans. I'm sure uh, you've heard from them, right?
1: No, nah, yeah, I definitely, I've definitely heard a lot from the fans. Like, I may not respond, but I definitely read it though. Uh, <laughs> like, I used, to, I used to play fantasy myself, so I kind of understand. Would you, um,
0: would you put pick yourself? Would you put yourself on your own team if you had a fantasy team?
1: Uh, I mean, yeah. If I'm going off of the past two weeks, I would, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: that a guy right there. That's what I'm looking for. <laughs> I do too, but I. Like, I'm uh, I'm around here, and people know me and probably frown upon this, but I'm a big wide receiver. I've got, like, 25 wide receivers in yeah. my fantasy team. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm a big wide receiver after a wide receiver guy, so that's yeah. kind of where I'm hanging. Hey, excellent conversation. Congratulations on what you've accomplished, especially, you know, on the spotlight these past couple of weeks. And uh, here's hoping for more and the great results and great conversation, and hopefully we can do it again. Dion, thanks for stopping on
1: the show. Hey, no problem, man. Thank you for having me.
0: You got Dion Jackson right there, the Colts via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. That is a really good guy right there. I mean, really good guy. For the morning show, Kevin and Query, weekday morning seven until ten a.m. Kevin Bowen he does join us. I know, where we I was talking about this yesterday. That news and you know Jim Murse's outspokenness all kind of came together in the five o'clock hour. Um, I, first, I'm going to ask you what what you think, and then I want you to play off of this because um, th- this is more of an educated opinion, I guess, than it is anything else. But I, I think there's an aspect with what Jim Irsay had to say yesterday and in- being the lone owner to step up and say anything regarding Daniel Snyder, the commander's owner, and what is going on right now. I-, I-, I think to me that that Jim Irsay would like to take more of an active leadership role among those owners. I'm not suggesting that's – the only reason why he did what he did yesterday because I'm assuming he has some deeply rooted thoughts and beliefs as to what led him down that path. But I do think that he wants to be known as more of one of the leaders in NFL ownership. And I think we saw that yesterday. Would you agree?
2: Yeah, I I would definitely agree. I think it's a good point. I guess I'll start there. I think he wants to be, um, he has an extreme reverence for the history of the NFL, for the history of ownership in the league. I mean, you won't go through a Jim Merce press conference without him mentioning George Hallis or the Hunts or the Rooney's or, you know, whoever you want to throw into that group and mentioning how, you know, they were at his wedding and, you know, he's been around them for so long and all of that. So I think what you saw yesterday, part of what you saw yesterday, obviously it was a – very thought out and, and, you know, very calculated, frankly, what he was doing. But I think part of it was, you know, I'm defending the shield. And and I know that, you know, that can kind of sound as like a a bit of a fluff statement, but I think Ursay holds that in high regard. I think he holds the history of the NFL in high regard. And I think he believes that Daniel Steiner attacked uh, the entire ownership group and some of the reports out there. Um, from ESPN and, you know, calling the ownership group kind of a mafia and, and they all hate each other and all those quotes that were in the ESPN piece last week. Um, as far as what Ursay did, I, I have a um, an immense amount of respect for what he did. Um, I think in society, frankly, particularly in the NFL, but I think in society it's fair to say um, that oftentimes, like people in positions of authority – sometimes their voices are needed to create change and realize that people that are also in positions of authority cannot just get away with things because they have fame and money. Um, and I think it, it it was necessary for an owner to speak up, um, for the warning shot to be sent, for the media nationally to really get behind it. And I'm sure today there were conversations at those league meetings in New York Um, directly because of what Jim Irsay said yesterday. Um, And and I thought, you know, he he said it in a a very tactful, smart way of, like, you know, if these allegations are true, then it merits consideration of removing Daniel Snyder as owner. And I'm paraphrasing a bit, but that's pretty much what he said. And I think that is exactly spot on of this is a very public warning shot in that just because you are an owner, just because you have money, does not mean that these actions under your watch – some accusations directly towards Daniel Snyder, but more so organizationally, you know, workplace culture, et cetera, that that's not acceptable. Um, And and again, I I just feel like in too many of these situations across different industries, uh, people of authority just get away with it. And the fact that you had someone that is a peer of Daniel Snyder speak up about it in a public manner creates attention. And at some point it will create a big decision for the owners if these allegations are indeed
0: true. So Kevin Bowen joins us. I I also felt that to me, again, this is um, uh, an educated opinion here, but I kind of felt that he he probably took the temperature of the room with a lot of his – owners as well. And because uh, if you don't have you know, basically close to a, a lot of, Hey, you know what? You're absolutely right. Hey, if you want to do this, go ahead and do it. If you don't have that, you probably don't do it. Right. So he probably did have that temperature taken for the room in this case in New York.
2: Yeah, I, I would assume so. Um, I, I also think this, John, I, I feel like, and I don't know, maybe the arrest in 2014 is, Opened up his eyes a little bit more. I, I, I don't have maybe any it's...
0: question. I think there's a lot of it. And Kev, I, I'm sorry to interrupt you because I want you to play off of this as well. Because I was thinking about something similar. I, I, I so I mentioned. I think he wants to to be become more of a, a leader uh, in ownership in the NFL. And I think it's it's what you're talking about, Kev. I think it's you know maybe being you know the the kid that took over for the owner. And this is you know he's just. You know, kind of, you know, gets that in his lap, and he was, he was, not known as, you know, one of those go-to guys as far as, you know, what the future of the NFL is going to be, and I think he wants a lot of that moving forward now, and that may have not been something that he had wanted years ago. You make a good point.
2: Yeah, and I also think, and he mentioned this yesterday, but I think it's been really relevant um, over the past few years. Now that his daughters, and in particular Carly, is oldest, and Kaylin, his youngest, have taken on a little bit more of a uh, front-facing role with, with the organization. He mentioned his 13-year-old granddaughter being at training camp this past August, and whether it's having three daughters, whether it's having seven granddaughters, I think the accusations at hand with Daniel Snyder, um, I think, just matter more, mean more to him. Um, And I think any father of 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 a girl probably feels that way. And whether it was Kalen kind of igniting some of the kicking the stigma campaign and and wanting her dad to um, help her out and being such a public voice in that and public face in that. um, I, I think that is very fresh on his mind and has been very relevant. Um, and again, I think a lot of this dates back to, to 2014 and that, you know, if, if this is 2005, I, I don't know if Jim Mersey does this. And maybe that's I, me speak, speaking I agree. out of turn, but oh, I agree. Um, yeah, that, that, that's, those are some of my thoughts about all of it. Um, and, and I think it just naturally it's, I think of how society has evolved a bit with these and that some of these stories have become a little bit more prominent and, Again, when you are the father of three girls and you have the granddaughters and you're seeing them around the organization and you're seeing um, a once very revered franchise in Washington become much more of a laughingstock, I think some of that plays into
0: it as well. Does that add any juice other than the pregame storyline in a couple of weeks when the commanders are here, or is it just kind of in there?
2: Uh, That's a good question. I'm sure the NFL loves that it was a 425 kick to begin with um, and that it will have a few more national eyes on it. I mean, selfishly, I really wanted to see Carson Wentz. Me too.
0: I would rather have that than I would have this storyline. Definitely.
2: You know, I'm all for um, storylines, entertainment, um, for a guy in Carson Wentz that is on probably the – the edge of the cliff, if you will, with his NFL career and, and what a huge moment that would be for him. And I was just curious to see how he would react to all of that. Um, yeah, I mean, I suggested, you know, earlier today that, you know, maybe instead of tart Glenn's Ring of Honor ceremony, you push that out a few weeks and just bring out the octagon for Ursa and Daniel Snyder at halftime a week from Sunday. Uh, I, I'm sure deep down it adds a little something for Ursa, but and Daniel Snyder, of course. But outside of that, I can't say that, Ron Rivera's pregame speech will be including a "Let's go win one for the owner" inside the visiting locker
0: room. Yeah, I, I I do. I completely agree. I just I I think to me, I would rather have the former quarterback actually playing to have something there on the field than just. Right. This is to me is going to be a storyline. There'll probably be camera shots inside, you know, the owner's suites, and that'll be about it.
2: Yeah. Yep. Exactly. And again, obviously, the win implications are you know far greater than just. And being out there from a entertainment storyline, going back to that place and the Ursae comments in the off season, you obviously have the draft pick storyline with it as well. But yeah, like you said, outside of a few owner shots, which I, I don't, I don't know, maybe I, I feel like they don't really show Ursay much during games. Um, at least at Lucas Oil Stadium, I, I would assume that that'll be a little bit more. Uh, prevalent a week from sunday finding the visiting box and finding nurse's
0: box kevin bowen the morning show is with us so what aspects if not totally what we saw offensively that was implemented in that many bye week do you think will carry over from the jacksonville win to what we're going to see offensively in that game plan on sunday in nashville
2: well i i I think you cannot get too too far away from the no huddle right right there Um, with you. i get that it's yeah, you know, I get that it's not going to be a weekly success to the tune that you had it on Sunday, but your offense was in such a dire situation, and it wasn't just, like, one aspect of the offense. It was protection. It was turning the ball over. I thought, honestly, the no huddle created a little bit of a run game, not in the staff, but Deion Jackson, 10 catches for 70-some yards, that was pretty much your your run game on Sunday. So I thought it ignited so many different areas of your offense that, again, desperately needed something that the Frank Reich norm has been no huddle is a very, very individual weak thing, and it does not become too repetitive. But again, I would argue that you haven't been in such an awful, offensive situation and then taken such a 180 that I think it's got to be right there. And I get it. On the road, it might be more difficult to implement considering crowd noise. uh, But I felt like something that just kind of helps you out when you go no huddle, and I think is a perfect example to Sunday. The strength of Tennessee would be their defensive line, in my opinion. Danico Autry and Jeffrey Simmons, who totally wrecked that first matchup here in Indianapolis. Well, if you get to a point in the game on Sunday where Tennessee is a rotating defensive lineman at the start of the series, and for some reason Simmons and or Simmons and Autry happen to be on the sideline, What a golden time for the Colts to look down and say, hey, here we go, let's rev it up, let's not sub, and therefore you're keeping one of their best players, again, players that absolutely wrecked the game just a few weeks ago, keep them on the sideline for potentially an entire drive. I think those are some of the situations you can get to and that you need to try and tap into.
0: I'm there with you Um, aspect because to me, I think offensively, it's one thing with the execution um, and the juice and kind of the cohesion that it brought. But I think it helped out the offensive line. And I, I w- I've i been screaming about the shorter pass patterns, more rhythm passing game for a while now with this offensive line playing as bad as it has. And I think that that maintains being necessary for this team and this team's possibility of success offensively moving forward. I just do.
2: Yeah, I think following that week two game against Jacksonville, John, and it probably was a bit of a – reluctant thing for Frank Reich and the staff to admit that at some point after that Jacksonville game, they came together as a staff and said, uh, guys, we can't block them. Right. <laughs> we cannot block them. Normal offense. We cannot block Jacksonville. And then since that week two matchup down there, you had c- continued offensive line changes personnel wise, continued question marks, arguably even more ugly moments for that group. Um, And so then you thought to them, you know, they thought to themselves, okay, when we see them again in a month, what are we going to do differently? Well, you got the mini bye week, got a little extra time, you know, the Monday, Tuesday, you're not not necessarily in full recovery mode from a Sunday game coming off the Thursday nighter. Here's the no huddle help out the O line. And again, you are admitting that your offensive line is so broken. You've got to do something very drastic to change up that, that approach. Um, and, you know, I can totally hear people that are like, why did it take six weeks and all that? That's fine, but I think a little bit of credit also needs to say at least you didn't bang your head against the wall again and continue to think, oh, no, just the normal offense is going to work or, you know, we're going to stick with it, it's going to work, water is going to find its level, all that. They didn't do that. They made a really significant change um, against a divisional opponent, and it was absolutely necessary, and the success was tremendous.
0: Yeah, it's funny. I heard on Roundtable Live with Matt on Monday where Frank Wright was kind of doing I told you so to those out there like (laughs) you and I who are non-believers in that offensive or I should say that wide receiving group. And what's funny about that is these guys all preach patience. All of our detractors that are Colts fans say you got to be patient. See, I told you so and you get a sample size of basically one really good half, right, of offense. And now, you know, you you take that sample against basically our wide receiving sample is uh, the better part of five weeks and the better part of four years prior. So you take that game and then I I, I always find that hilarious. I do. Listen, I think Alec Pierce is good. He's going to be good. I think Michael Pittman Jr. is good and going to get better. But I I don't think that that all of a sudden – is i told you so territory out of what we witnessed on sunday
2: i would agree wholeheartedly with that um i i did hear that clip and i did feel like there was probably a little bit of sentiment uh directed maybe towards yourself or or me um and i would say this to frank reich and i would say this to chris ballard anybody want to remind people of week one and week two and, and i guess that's the issue that I had with Ballard's approach, and I'm paraphrasing here, but Ballard said something to the effect during the offseason of, you know, we're going to wait on our wideouts, and at some point during the season, if we feel like a significant move is needed, then we will make that. But it's a long season. It's 17 games. That sounds great, but when you've lost eight straight season openers and seven straight years in Jacksonville, and your schedule shows two divisional games right out of the gate, Weeks one and week two really, really matter. And in week one, you didn't score a touchdown until seven minutes to go in the game. And unfortunately, you had a big drop from your rookie wideout in that game. Um, you had some mistakes from other wideouts in that game. And I think that was a big reason why. You only had three points until the final seven eight minutes of that game. And then week two, um, you get shut out. And the biggest contribution Paris Campbell, your number one wideout in that game, makes is an offensive pass interference penalty in the fourth quarter. Without question, Alec Pierce has exceeded what I thought he would be doing. Um, I thought he could give you some of that go ball stuff, but not to the extent that he's done it this early. And he's responded incredibly well from a, a huge drop on his first ever NFL target and then having a concussion and missing week two. Um, and, and Campbell, you know, has been healthy so far. And, and unfortunately, you have to throw in that caveat so far. Um, but I just feel like the urgency with just what September means has never really been there under this regime. In a similar way, it was there this offseason in regards to the receiver position. Uh, You know, Desmond Patman and Mike Strong, you know, those guys, well, we saw those guys in week one and week two, and and they weren't ready, and they weren't impactful for you. And, unfortunately, those are two golden missed opportunities with divisional games, and now you're digging yourself out of another hole. And I think that that contributed some of it would – a veteran wideout would, of you know, looking into some of the moves that you've seen in Amari Cooper help out Cleveland or even a Robert Woods help out Tennessee. Those are the type of moves that I think could have really bolstered your group, help continue to grow guys like Pierce and Campbell and not be overly reliant on them so
0: early in the season. Hey, Kev, before I move on to the Pacers and their opener against Washington later on tonight, uh, Deion Jackson, I mentioned, is going to join me in the 5 o'clock hour. Do you think that he has, with the injuries, and I know these guys are, are maybe coming back, Naheem Hines and and Jonathan Taylor, has he earned a snap or two opportunity even if they do return this weekend?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. um, again, going back to like Frank Reich's past precedent, he hasn't really involved the third running back very often, um, and I understand the thinking there. I mean, Jonathan Taylor deserves a whole lot of looks, and as long as Naheem Hines can catch the football, I mean, he should be able to do what Deion Jackson did. Like, I mean, Deion Jackson made some nice plays on, on Sunday. Like, I don't want to deny that. he. I think he caught all ten targets. All of that is great, but like, I would hope Naeem Hines could do that, too, if asked. And I think he would have been asked to do that had he been healthy. I think the game plan was very much of a, you know, this is going to be the approach. And, you know, for a while there, it looked like Hines might play in the game on Sunday. So, you know, maybe Jackson deserves a little bit of a look. But just kind of the nature of the position at times, I just feel like, it's a pretty replaceable spot, and there are some Deion Jackson moments from a lot of guys around the league. Yeah. Um, obviously, Hines, you know, hasn't produced, but I don't know if they've maybe asked him to produce to the level that they utilize Jackson when you're throwing it 58 times on a Sunday and your running back or your, you know, top ball carrier is going to be asked to do a whole lot. So, um, I, again, I don't – I'll be curious certainly to see how those three – are um, utilized within an offensive game plan. They all practiced today. Hines was full, was not wearing a no-contact a, a no jersey, so I would assume he's good to go. Uh, but I don't think there's maybe a desperate need to say, you know, here's a dozen touches for Deion Jackson.
0: Kevin Bone with us. Before I let you go, the Pacers home opener, the Pacers opener in general this season, coming up tonight at Cambridge Fieldhouse. And there is certainly um, a lot of interest going on because there is so much new and so much fresh. Uh, How do you think this thing is going to go? And I've asked my audience a number of times, will you hang with this reboot? And they have said yes. How long might it take for this new and fresh feeling to wear off if they consistently more times than not have a struggle in this early NBA schedule.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's certainly going to take a, a different approach from anybody watching the Pacers. I mean, no one is used to the franchise being so well, public, a even private, I guess about, you know, what this season's going to look like of the win, loss over under all of that. Um, And I would agree. I mean, there's probably like 0.1% of the fan base that watched Malcolm Brogdon last night. I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I'd love if Malcolm Brogdon was (laughs) still on this team, and the Pacers would have ran it back with, you know, DJ Warren will recover from that foot or Turner and Sabonis, yay. Um, I I think they are very accepting of it. I think the key things they need to see this season is a commitment to the youth, a commitment to playing them, uh, growing them, individual, um, you know, growth, some pieces starting to be put into place of it's not just Halliburton. There's more around him. Of okay, Jalen Smith wasn't just a 20 game, you know, fluke on a 20 win team late last year. Okay, Matherin continues to look like a really, really legit player. Um, and I also feel like those end the game moments from last year's team. I mean, it's not like I mean, definitely there are nights where they got just blown out of the building, but they also were in a lot of games in the fourth quarter. I think it's important to maintain that because, you know, at some point you do have to flip that switch. And a guy like Halliburton, who he's your lead guy right now, you know, he hasn't won very much in the NBA, really none at all. It's not like he was a big-time winner in college. And I don't want to sound like I'm ripping the guy, but, you know, he, I think, needs to feel some of what it's like end-of-game moments to make the plays on winning teams. I think that's an important balance to try and find. It's not the end-all, be-all but I do think that's important. Uh, But I I really think you will have fans that will be patient and, and you will still have a section of the fan base that will complain about wins and say, screw that. You know, I want as high as percentage possible to get that number one overall pick. Uh, But I, I, I feel like the feeling you, you have going in tonight from the fan base. I, I mean, unless it's just like, you know, you win 10 or 12 games and, your young guys just look like busts. I, I I really think it'll stay there for quite some time.
0: Yeah, it's um, it, it's new and it's fresh, but I, I I've reminded people that it's going to be, you know, moments that aren't always related to winning or equate to winning that you're going to have to find braceable Because I I get like, everybody. Like I was talking to people last night. I was playing hoop last night, and they were saying, "Hey, what do you think?" You think the Pacers, can they squeeze into maybe at least making a run at the postseason? I'm saying, you know, don't even worry about that. You just worry about the fact that you're going to probably have to embrace um, a lot of what you really would, not some non-winning stuff to get through this because essentially uh, the winning uh, to what people would really like to see it's uh, just not going to be there this year, I don't think, unless we're just absolutely sideswiped by uh, a young group that uh, that plays well, well, well over what we thought.
2: Yeah, there's going to be uh, some necessary celebrations for Aaron D. Smith scoring 16 points three <laughs> out of four nights. You know, I'm ready. I'm <laughs> ready for like that January, celebration. Like, yeah, <laughs> and I, I get it. That's kind of hard to admit. But those are some of the areas and the strides that y- y- you will need to see and hope to see. And and obviously at some point, John, you know, probably not so closer to the new year and into February when the deadline is there. But then you're going to have those questions come up about, okay, what about Buddy Heald? What about Miles Turner? You know, Daniel Tyson isn't even playing tonight. Is he, like, sitting out because they're just going to trade him at any point? Like, kind of been an odd situation here um, with, with, with him. Um, but – I know it sounds good in mid-October. I, I'd like to think that the overwhelming majority of Pacers fans that I've heard from seem to be totally content with the plan and very accepting of it. You will need to see some strides in that direction, but I don't think they will be a throw-in-the-towel moment unless, again, just Matherin looks horrific and you know they win eight games or ten games or something just
0: god-awful. I can't imagine the Lakers don't decide because you know rob palenka at some point is is going to feel like he may feel like that right now and probably should that he's going to be in trouble if you watch them last night and then look at their roster have have you looked at their bench the lakers bench it is incredible
2: as you know john i'm a diehard notre dame basketball fan matt ryan yeah and this is not the quarterback matt ryan um, the white shooter for the Lakers who went to several colleges, Matt Ryan, including Notre Dame, he couldn't get on the floor in South Bend. Mike Bray can find a role for you if you can put the ball in the bucket. And he couldn't play there. And now all of a sudden, I would consider him a critical piece to the Lakers doing whatever they think they can do this season. From a Six, loss second standpoint.
0: most yeah. minutes off the bench last night to Kendrick Nunn. Yeah, Ryan had 18 minutes off the bench. That – that, And if you're looking at their bench, and really, if you're looking, they have three dudes and Beverly and Walker. There is no way they're not making some sort of substantial deal. There's no way they're not going to move off their position of not wanting to give up another number one. No way.
2: Right. And you would think, I mean, the Pacers obviously will be sitting there waiting for them at that point. And, you know, I think it's probably smart for the Pacers to see who else enters the desperation category because – You know, you get to early February and teams that maybe thought they weren't going to be there are now there or injuries happen and maybe what you thought, you know, the Lakers are going to offer you, maybe you're now looking at two or three trade packages that look a whole lot different. And then honestly, and, and I know we're up against it, John, but and this obviously plays right into you, but I am very curious to see what we see from Turner in just the alone minutes at the five, a huge contract year for a guy that's never hit, Free agency. He's battled injuries each of the last two years. He's playing with the ideal pass-first point guard. All of those things. I'm very, very interested. 18 in the
0: and areas. 11 until the All-Star break. What do you think? Averages. Oh boy.
2: 18 and 11. Yeah, 11. 11 <laughs> seems a little rich. So does 18. I'll go.
0: Uh, I'll go 15 and uh, eight. <laughs> I'm. I'm. Hey, I'm living large. 18 and 11. And I want everybody bringing it to me. Yeah, I'm going to listen. I have, I've hung in here the entirety of the time. I'm going to hang in to the bitter you end. Have,
2: yeah, I'm hanging in. You have, you have lived and died. Honestly, Mister Turner should invite you to a game with, uh, with, with how you've hung in there. And I, uh, it's kind of been a Pacers ritual for me. Usually at the end of games, uh, depending on how Turner plays, I sometimes like to scroll through JMV's mentions. So <laughs> yeah, I'll have
0: to start that back good. up tonight. Yeah, a lot of fat dudes in there telling me how much I suck and how much he sucks and stuff. I'm thinking, all right, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. He would stuff you in a trash can in five minutes there, nerd. So, <laughs> no, honestly, I will go to the end with it. You know, we've been here this long. We might as well play it out to the end. So, that's what we're going to do. All right, Kev, I appreciate you more than you know. Uh, enjoy the game later on tonight, and uh, I'm sure you guys will be yakking it up. And you're getting ready to get a European vacation from your colleague in the morning, too, aren't you? I know.
2: European Jake. I know. Boy, I can only imagine all the different European soaps he's going to buy when he's over there and make sure he comes back smelling all fresh and everything. Yeah, he's heading out. Gosh, I want to say, is it the end of next week? Do, do they, they have phase? spray tanners?
0: They that. have spray tanners in Barcelona?
2: Boy, I have to, yeah, maybe fly over to Ibiza and check that out. Yeah, he's going to have to make sure he gets a nice coat on before he heads over.
0: (laughs) Take it easy, buddy. Appreciate you. All right, see you, Tom. It's a bone on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline, voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor, joins us. What do you think about Scarecrow from the Mellencamp Collection album-wise? Is that right up there for you?
3: Oh, man, I sort of get lost in the... The uh discology, if you will, or the recordology. What what year would that have been? Eighty five, like,
0: brother. Eighty five was Scarecrow.
3: That's him that's the, the cover of that album's him like chilling on a fence post. It is, right?
0: yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I used to do that yeah. a lot
0: back in the day. Just chilled right there in my jean jacket <laughs> on a fence post.
3: <laughs> Come over here and take my picture as I lean on this fence post. It looks like that I have done some work
0: out here. Look at the cows behind me.
3: <laughs> that's, back in the that's day that's my backyard
0: home, right brother. there i know that's probably that's probably jackson county and monroe county that's not too far from where i grew up but yeah the most noted song from that album is small town so yeah that's the
3: that's like the picture that's uh, that's uh iconic with uh damon bailey Remember, damon bailey yeah. was like resting up uh up against that um that that sign it says where's where, where he from Hel- heltonville or
0: heltonville indiana
3: Eltonville, Indiana, just outside of Bedford.
0: You know, it's funny, after that song was released at 85, it took, it probably even went into the 2000s. Anytime that there was a sports story or really any type of story regarding Indiana, that song would play beneath it. Mhm. So, anything. And, and anything I, you know, I was always, a
3: small town, So. I've always argued, I mean, he's from Seymour, Indiana. Is not Seymour? Is not Seymour like the 7th biggest City what? In the state. Is
0: it? You'll Isn't have to it? look that up, Kyle. I'm not sure about that. The 7th
3: Seymour? I mean, I, I know it's like, I mean, the, the song is about a small town. He depicts a small town with like one stoplight and, you know, everybody knows each other and there's one diner. and Well, he did. He grew up in
0: I... a different Seymour, though. Uh, he grew up in the 60s, late 60s Seymour. So Wal- uh, the Walmart dis- distributing center wasn't there yet or anything. They still had the hen house. Yeah. The henhouse coffee shop was still there,
3: yeah no i I'll give you that. I'll give you that. I mean the song was written you know yeah. forty years ago no I- I'll give you that, but i am fairly certain that Seymour is in the top fifteen in terms of population in the state of Indiana right now All right, I'm gonna I- check I
0: in with I'm gonna check in with our this. population expert Kyle Unimark across from me <laughs> right here in the studio <laughs> oh, where is it ranked, Seymour? It is not
2: top fifteen. I'm still scrolling. I'm not. I might oh. have to do a control F search.
0: Oh my! Not even top fifteen. Man. Forty-five. It's forty-fifth.
3: Forty-five. 45? Yeah. Give me I some, give me some names that. of
0: towns that's larger than Seymour that would surprise I mean, it us, takes Kyle. Me,
3: it takes me like thirty minutes to drive through Seymour. Well, that's because the they
0: got some spread out stoplights right there. If you're on US yeah. fifty, yeah, that's true.
2: Right above uh, Clarksville, Laporte, Munster, Greenfield, Franklin,
0: Marion. Hobart, yeah. Brownsburg,
3: yeah. See, there you go. You say Franklin. Franklin's more populous than Seymour. Yep,
0: by uh, three thousand people. Hey, man, uh, the more you know. See what you learn on this show. The more you know. <laughs>
3: that, that's an absolute tangent on my part, and I apologize for that. Yeah, yeah. listen, I,
0: I know that we're going to talk football, but obviously, I do want to bring up uh, what Jim Irsay, you know, had to say yesterday too. And uh, I, I kind of, you don't have to, you know, fare in an opinion if you don't want to. I get it, but uh, I, I uh, had mentioned this he just he looked to me, he kind of he wants to be viewed as that that lead guy or a lead guy that you can go to for all things NFL within the ownership. That was one of the aspects that struck me yesterday,
3: well, I mean, yeah, I, I certainly um you know I, i'm not I'm not uh, informed on all this to be honest with you. I mean, I know there's an investigation going on with Daniel yep. Steiner. And, um, you know, obviously as an owner, Jim Irsay knows more about the the brotherhood or the fraternity, if you will, of NFL owners more so than certainly than I do. But here's what I will say. I mean, uh, he, he's obviously uh, he has a formed opinion. Um, it's an educated opinion. And so he feels that it's warranted. Um, but on top of that, uh, and this is just an observation on my part, you know, there's between, outside of Daniel Snyder and Jim Irsay, there are still 30 other NFL owners. And, you know, I, I don't – unless something's happened in the last, you know, six minutes since we've been talking here, I haven't seen anything from any other owners publicly. And so to me, yeah. you know, that to me sort of that, – that silence speaks volumes. Um, you know, th- there hasn't been anybody that's come out and, and uh, sort of denounced no Jim doubt. Irsay's opinion on no this. No doubt. Um, so that that's just an observation on my part. Uh, but, again, the investigation is still ongoing, and, you know, Jim Irsay, again, feels it very strongly uh, to come out and say something and to be sort of the the leader of, of a push that he feels uh, needs to be made, and, and we'll see how it all unfolds. But uh, there's no doubt now that there's going to be a lot more eyeballs and, and maybe a higher viewership on that uh, game in two weeks between the Colts and the Commanders. Um, you know, there's the Carson Wentz angle, but yeah. now there's this, you know, off the field as well between the two owners. Yeah. You know what? And I
0: downplayed that a little bit. You know what I mean? I kind of have downplayed it. I'm thinking, I, I think people, the storyline, if Wentz were playing, well, I would certainly be there, you know, for the crowd and, and, and getting everybody amped up. But I, I think the whole owner thing, I, to me, I would give that more of a backseat, I guess, than, you know, they'll be talked about. Don't get me wrong. I mean, yeah. the, the yeah. shows will be talking about it. But I think as far as, you know, being a, a lot of interest for those fans going to be in that building, probably probably not too much yeah. compared to that. No, the
3: that's right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, once we get to, like, uh, Saturday night and and, you know, Sunday day of yeah. the game. And certainly once the football's uh, kicked off, then it's just a football game. And it's, I mean, they're all going to be important games from here on out for the Colts. I mean, uh, especially if, if if they can't get the job done on Sunday against Tennessee, then, then then their margin for error is razor, razor thin for this team. If they want to, you know, make a playoff push and, and get back into contention to win the AFC South, and then they'd have to have some things go their way, uh, you know, with other teams losing down the stretch. But no, that's, that's a really important game. And then you've got the quarterback situation there with Wentz and now these, these two owners. But, you know, I, I think 99% of your audience probably doesn't care about yeah. two billionaires squabbling. They just want to watch football. They want to see the Colts win.
0: And they want to see exactly what they caught for the most part in the second half. And, by the way, Matt Taylor joins us. Shout out on the call. Uh, and the Colts, your, your digital staff put together a great video short of that final call, that touchdown pass to Alec Pierce, and, and that was outstanding. And you know, the best supporting actor uh, playing the role of your radio color analyst every single week is Rick Venturi with his <laughs> arms, his arms <laughs> raised, signaling touchdown, was outstanding. <laughs>
3: that's that's Rick, man, like that. That's that's stoic Rick Venturi. You yeah. know. He's 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 a coach and he's he watches with a critical eye. But at the end of the day, he's a fan, too. And he wants to see this team win. And he's going to rejoice when they do, because he puts a lot of time and effort and energy, um, you know, into into the calls and, and trying to make the broadcast sound good. So, yeah, that was that was incredibly cool. You know, I've seen some other teams do that. And I just sort of pitched the idea It's like, you know, we've had some big moments. Prior to Sunday, even you know you had the Jelani Woods touchdown uh, with under 30 seconds to go against Kansas City. You had the Stephon Gilmore, you know, great defensive play on Thursday night. I was like, let's let's just put a, a camera up there, a GoPro, and see what we get. And then if we get something good, you know, maybe we'll turn something into it. And it's it's been fun to see the reaction from that post because it is cool to you know uh, peer back the or pull back the curtain a little bit, let people look into the radio booth, because I know we, we've got a lot of fun or have a lot of fun up there. We put a lot of work into it. So it was cool to let that other was people awesome. see, you know, so how, how the dynamic works, you know, on game day inside the booth. Hey,
0: it was awesome. I mean, it really was. Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts, joins us. Colts down in Nashville coming up on Sunday. And, of course, we'll lead you up to Countdown to kickoff and then uh, the game call with Matt and Rick and Lara coming up on Sunday again down at Nissan Stadium in Nashville. You know what was interesting about that final pass play? I talked about this on Monday. Uh, That touchdown that salted things away was all that took place after the snap of the football. I mean, you 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 saw pressure. uh, You saw Ryan get hit low, still deliver the football perfectly. And maybe the best part about that was the hand fighting that was going on between Shaquille Griffin and Alec Pierce going down the field. And then Pierce got that final swipe. And then that separation speed that the football was like right in his hands delivered perfectly to, there was so much going on on that play just outside of the pass and catch itself.
3: Yeah. And I think the Colts were sort of salivating there. Once they saw that Griffin was going to be playing, you know, man to man or press man to man. Yeah. And that's, that's the matchup they wanted. I think, sort of change that play or change the route before the snap based on the coverage. And you know, that's you know, to Alec Alec Pierce's credit, that's where he's been at his best this year. And you can't say that a lot about a lot of rookies. I mean, that's where these first year wide receivers tend to struggle, and that's the biggest difference for a lot of guys from college football to the NFL. And Shaq Griffin's not I mean, this guy was a really good football player in Seattle and he still is with the Jaguars. I mean that's that's a that's a really good corner and Alec Pierce beat him when the game was on the line and scored a touchdown on a very very good defender and so like that's that's what is most encouraging about Alec Pierce it's you can say yeah he's got 18 catches for you know almost 275 yards in the last four games but it's how the the catches come and it's when they come I mean he had the the big three catches on the last drive of regulation in yeah. Denver a lot of trust from Matt Ryan. And, and and you had Matt, he it. goes
0: to get him too, man. Sorry to interrupt, but he, he goes to get the. He doesn't wait for the ball to come to hand. He goes to get the ball.
3: No doubt. No doubt. And so, like, that's that's what is most impressive about him. He looks like a four-year guy, not a four-game guy. Um, and he, he just seems like all of them. I mean, Jelani Woods, throw him in there. Kylan Granson, Michael Pittman Jr., uh, Paris Campbell. You know, it looks like all of these guys are starting to settle in and and these moments, you know, and, and pressure-packed situations in the fourth quarter, crunch time, uh, it's not too big for this team. So you'd love for them to not be in those situations where they'd be up two scores late in the game and sort of assault the game away. Uh, but it's good to know you've got that ability, and not every team's got that ability, you know, to sort of come through when it's, you know, when, when the lights are brightest, if you will. Um, but, no, Alec Pierce has a lot of trust from Matt Ryan. And that throw was a thing of beauty and that it was an even better catch. And, uh, you know, what a, what a great moment so far in the early season for the Colts.
0: Uh, Deion Jackson's on the show coming up in the five o'clock hour. Any interesting tidbits? Because I don't think he's ever been on. I don't know how much outside. I know he's probably talked to you guys before. Anything stand out with the backup running back who in, in the past two games has done a really good job.
3: Yeah, no, it's funny you say that. I actually talked to him today, interviewed him today. Um, he he grew up in Atlanta. I'm sure I don't know if you know this. You probably yeah. do because yep. it's, it's out there. But uh, he grew up in Atlanta, and the high school that he went to, um, they have a, they must have a really big budget for commencement speakers because I think um, you know some actors and some high profile athletes, including Matt Ryan, uh, gave the Matt Ryan gave the commencement speech <laughs> at uh, yeah. Dion Jackson's yeah. high school graduation and then here they are 5 years later and their teammates and um you know he's he's uh you know scoring touchdowns and catching 10 passes in a game from you know a 15 year veteran so pretty cool story there and he also said that you know with uh with all the recognition that he got between fantasy football scoring a touchdown and then you know the good morning football show on NFL network they have that angry runs bit he won that this week as well so between all of that uh he had like 450 either text messages or direct messages on Twitter with from people, you know, hitting him up and congratulating him on a great game and great plays and people thanking him for their you know fantasy football victories for the for the things that he did stat wise. So he's a really humble guy, good guy, and you know he's as we always say, he's always been one or two plays away from being the guy. Yeah last two games he was the dude and he came through and the moment wasn't too big for him
0: Matt I know in closing here it's easier said than done offensively but even with the return of the guys uh, essentially he was playing for because of injury you you think he's solidified himself here at least in the short term to maybe getting a couple of opportunities a couple of snaps that he would not have received before proving himself in the last two games
3: well, that's a good question. I, I don't know. I, I still think I, I think that one's going to be tough because I think if you have a healthy Jonathan Taylor and Naeem Hines, and, and by the way, I think both guys did practice today. So they're trending on being back mm-hmm. after missing, you know, virtually the last two games with Hines going out early in Denver. But uh, I still think I, I don't know. I I don't know if he's you know, Deion Jackson's a really good football player. But still, I think Jonathan Taylor qualifies as a guy that you don't want to relinquish carries to you know somebody else he's just that good I mean he proved that last year but I will say this for Deion Jackson that he's a guy that has absolutely solidified his place on this roster you know going forward throughout the remainder of his rookie contract and he still has two more years after this year I mean if you saw him in training camp he he well first of all he plays on special teams and contributes that way um, so he does add value in the third phase of the game. But he runs very hard, and I think he runs, you know, similarly, if you will. I'm not saying they're the same player at all, but they run similarly. Um, he does that to, to that of, of Jonathan Taylor. Um, and that's why I think he's assimilated nicely and, and meshed in nicely with this offense in the running game. Now, I know they haven't busted out 150 yards rushing in the last two games. You know, they haven't exploded as far as that's concerned. But he's been able to run – like Jonathan Taylor and so it's not foreign to the offensive line blocking for him and it's not uncomfortable for Frank Reich to dial up runs that he would for Jonathan Taylor now going to Deion Jackson so um, yeah he's he's definitely earned his place but I think once Taylor comes back you still want to ride that horse he's still going to be your guy in the running game and I think he's going to be close to you know, having a, a big production game, stat, big stat game like he did all of 2021.
0: So Matt Taylor, Voice of the Coast. By the way, I'm assuming he played football with Jamari Saylor, who is a starter on that offensive line with the Chargers? Ooh, that's a good
3: question. I'll have uh, to ask have him to that. that I'll have to ask yeah. him that. I, I'm just yeah. gonna, I
0: don't am I know. I'm assuming they at some point did. But uh, I just well, actually I did, I did looked up that say. high school, and that's uh, Saylor – was at that high school. Wendell Carter Jr., who's an NBA player, uh, attended that high school. And Michael Barrett, the former catcher, I believe, with the Cubs, most notably back in the day, was. Yeah, he said he
3: went to. Uh, he went to high school with uh, a lot of Arthur Blank's kids. They go ah, to school there too. Okay. You know, he's the he's the owner of the of the Falcons, so I think that's where a lot of that. Uh, I think it must be a pretty good school, obviously, if you you can you can deduce that from. Uh, you know the the background, if you will. And but, attended uh, Duke,
0: so yeah. I mean, yeah. That, that makes I asked sense. Him
3: today, I said, uh, you know, I know he played football at Duke, but I said, how weird is it going to be to watch Duke basketball without Coach K? And he's like, you know, <laughs> I completely forgot about that. He's like, I only <laughs> went to two basketball games in four years. I'm like, what? What are we doing?
0: He got to go wait out there in a tent for three
3: days. Yeah, but I mean, he's a you know, he can get student tickets somehow, being the stud running back on the football team. You would think so, yeah.
0: You would think so. Not a lot of room in there. Hey, great call. Great end call on Sunday. And uh, have a a fantastic time rest of the week. And then down down in Nashville, we'll see if uh, maybe they found a little something uh, execution-wise offensively from this past Sunday. Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Appreciate you, buddy. All right, man. Be good. You too. Matt Taylor on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline.